0: Welcome, everyone, to QuizCast number five. Uh, we have an excellent panel with us today, uh, consisting of Jake. Oh, that's me. Hello. <laughs> Dino Hello. And Executive. Good afternoon. All alongside our technical guru and Spurs expert, AC. Hiya. So welcome, gentlemen. Uh, an awful lot to get through, and a lot has happened since... Uh, our last get-together as a course cast panel, so we're going to dive straight in uh, with Jake's review of the Liverpool game, which feels like it was at least a year ago, but probably was a month ago.
1: Yeah, and I think it dims in the memory because it wasn't the most memorable of games, to be honest. I mean, when the distance that's run by one of the sides is one of the most interesting things that's noted, I don't think there's too much else you can really dwell on. I mean... It was uh, Dembele's first start for us, after and then he's begun his cracking run of form recently. Um, Milner should have been sent off for two yellows. We got a little bit lucky with Origi hitting the crossbar early on, but after that, I thought we had quite a lot of control, and, which will be a running theme throughout these or my or my opinions on some of the games recently. Um, we didn't have enough up front to finish him off. Um, NG had a couple of great shots and looked like quite lively. Um, Ericsson's run in the second half was good. I mean, it was pleasing to get a point from a game where... I don't know, the, the new manager bounce always worries me because I'm a Spurs fan. So I, I think I was glad that we, that we got the point, but you did kind of feel we could have done better.
0: Uh, it was interesting you mentioned Dembele going on this um, great run. I, I'm just saying it happened to coincide with me asking that question at the last quiz cast, uh, ambushing. <laughs> I think I think I ambushed Dembele in, in the last quiz cast with that question about Dembele. So... On the theory that clearly everything I do impacts what happens on the field, my plan is to ask questions about every single player. Oh god! <laughs> um, so over to executive, who was looking forward to an away day in Bournemouth. I
2: was looking forward to it, and I must admit it more than lived up to expectation. Uh, ah. really, really, really enjoyable day out. It's always nice to, to go to a new ground. Um, it's actually quite nice to go to a ground where there's just no hostility. I'll describe it as like going to Fulham on sleeping tablets. Um, <laughs> just, 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 just a really, really peaceful place to go and watch football. The, front, the locals were incredibly friendly. Um, just walking to the game, it just had a real pre-season feel to it. Um, it was a really strange game. Obviously, we started poorly with a really sloppy start, giving away an early goal. Clearly important that we bounced back quickly and scored soon after. Uh, helped... Quite considerably by some woeful goalkeeping that day, um, and then obviously Kane back on form. I think Kane's been playing well all season, as so I alluded to last time. He perhaps hasn't had the rub of the green, and I think uh, all his luck sort of came rolling back in, in one afternoon. Um, even the celebrations were normally when we score goals away from home, we're sort of falling down three rows of stairs while celebrating a goal. Uh, this was more like high fives and back slaps. It was just a, it was just a really, really sort of strange game. Really, really. Um, pre-season feel to it as I said Um, but uh, it was a atmosphere was a little bit subdued there were some older songs being sung had a good 10 minute rendition of Glory Glory Um, Can't Smile Without You was there but uh, it was a very comfortable game you you have to feel for Bournemouth to an extent Um, Eddie Howe's done a great job there but I think the injuries have really taken their toll I think the only disappointing thing from the afternoon was from 65 minutes onwards bar a shot from Eric's going to hit the post. Um, the game was played at walking pace and it would have been an opportunity to improve our goal difference even further. But
0: I suppose that's just nitpicking. Uh, can't complain at all. Very satisfactory afternoon. It certainly was. And, and I'm glad it actually lived up to an away day expectation for you. It did.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a it was fairly um, difficult journey. There was a lot of roadworks and problems getting there. But no, thankfully uh, made it on time and um,
0: well worth the trip. Excellent. And the next, the next game, I think, was the home game against Villa for AC.
3: Yes, uh, very important win this one. Uh, we got the first goal very early on um, with a great piece of strength from Dembele uh, against Kieran Clark. Um, I managed to slot it between the keeper's legs. Uh, we got the second goal just before half half time. Uh, Daddy Ali showing great composure after it being headed away. Um, first half was a real. Dominant showing. Villa didn't really have anything um, to show in response to what we had. Uh, and at half time, they took off Agbonglahor, who uh, it was pointed out by Gary Neville that he had eight touches the first half, two of which were kickoffs. So not the greatest <laughs> performance from him. The third goal was a was a, a good moment to get a goal. They were coming back into it. It was very late on in the game, um, but it was an important goal to get good piece of like passing play up until Lamella and then he passes it across the goal and Harry Kane smashes it into the top corner um, the Villa goal was a mistake by Ryan Mason which I'll just put down to rustiness and it had a massive deflection on it as well um, they didn't really have too much they did look much better when they got Rudy dead on at half time but apart from that it was a solid win
1: it's worth noting that um, Kane's goal nine players had touched the ball on the way through to the net yeah I was quite impressed. I quite like those kind of team build up. My friend argued the fact that Lamella's touch for the pass to Kane was a bit poor, but I think that's really nitpicking. That's worse than executive with a not getting enough goals in Bournemouth. The thing that bothered me about that game was the um the way that we allowed them back in and I it again, it seems to be one of my main concerns at the moment. I mean in the first half they only had three shots and they had ten in the second where they just seemed to grow in confidence and sometimes I think we are very guilty of switching off a little bit. And I, I don't know, the Bournemouth game, I can kind of see that being feeling like a pre-season game because basically their keeper gave us three assists. If you have someone who seems to be still limbering up after his holidays and essentially chucking the ball in the net a couple of times, I don't think you can get too worked up about it. But yeah, that, I don't know, is it just me, the switching off sometimes when we're...
2: Yeah, so um, I actually have the same point written down as Jake highlighted just then. We seem to go from cruise control to panic stations within about 30 seconds. Um, clearly, there's a resilience about the squad, a real fitness in terms of playing till the end, scoring a lot of last-minute goals, but we still have a mental tendency to switch off at times, and it's been evident a few times against sort of lesser opposition when things have been going well, and it's obviously something that needs to be stamped out, but I think every team's actually guilty of it to some extent, so I don't think it's something that's exclusive to
0: us, but it's obviously uh, highlighted because we watch Tottenham every week. Can, can I say there, there's, there's sort of two parts, and one's a statement and one's a question. The, my statement on that is that um, for as long as I can remember, and I've been a Spurs fan for a long time, clearly my memory doesn't go back very far because I can't, still can't find my keys, but I I, um, I would say the life of a Spurs fan is that we never seem to be comfortable, almost regardless of the n- number of goal need that we have. Um, so that's a given and what surprised me in the Villa game was it wasn't like we were one, we were 2-1 up we were 3-1 well we, I'm sorry, we were 2-1 up we weren't, it wasn't like they'd come back from 1-0 down to 1-1 one one and then we're going to go on to win the game and I sometimes feel that the mm, is it possible there's a question already is it possible that that feeling comes from the stands to the players and makes them um, react with more anxiety than perhaps they should Or is there nothing to that? Perhaps, but I
3: I just think the one thing we're probably missing, which is what's causing this, is a player to take it by the scruff of the neck when we have those scenarios. Hmm. Something you saw in the Villa game was Lamella certainly grabbing in the last 10 minutes after a pretty tepid performance from him for most of the game. Yeah,
1: I'd I'd agree with that. I I think there is that point where, for all the, the unity that we have, and there's no doubt we've got enough people willing to tell people what they should be doing, at times we still don't have that maturity in the side. I mean, Hugo is our captain. I, you can argue about this for as long as you want, really, but is a keeper as a captain the best thing?
0: I don't think so, but that, that's not that's not a reflection of of Hugo's skills or abilities. It's it's just not the right position for a captain. Yeah. What do the rest of you think?
2: I think well, they've clearly done a big job in the last sort of twelve six twelve 6, 12 months getting rid of bad characters, um, and they've replaced them with good players, but not necessarily leaders or people with experience and I think we've still got the average youngest age squad and starting 11 in, in the Premier League so I think, I think things like this will improve and I think people like Kane, Deli Alley they've got a real desire to win mm-hmm. but perhaps still lack the experience of really sort of taking, a, taking the team by the scruff of the neck when, when times get a little bit difficult. But um, on your point with the fans, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's, subge- it's subject it's subjective, isn't it? I think yes. c- c- like c- clearly there's impatience at Tottenham mm-hmm. and people get nervous and panicky at times, and mm-hmm. it can has a tendency to go very very flat um, at points. But I, th- I think the Villa game was just the players just literally just switched off for about ten minutes and thought mm-hmm. it
0: was too easy. And how much of that is on the manager and how much of it is on the players? Well, it's both. It's a, it's, a, it's a combined effort. But I think I think it fundamentally has
2: to fall with the players. I mean, the manager can stand on the touchline and scream at them, but the players need to be concentrating for 90 minutes and appreciate they've got a job to do and uh, that the game's not over until the referee's blown the final whistle.
3: And I think mm. this season you've also seen games where we perhaps haven't started very well in the first half. But once mm-hmm. they've come out at half-time, Pochettino's got them fired up and playing well in the second half. And I just think... What's happening at the moment is we're playing really well in the first half and then we're switching off midway through the second and Pochettino hasn't got a chance to do anything about it. He can make changes, but we haven't really got the kind of
0: players that will turn it around in terms of driving the team on. Going back to the question of captain, and this one's for you, Lennon if the choice was yours, who would you appoint as captain of the team?
3: Well, that's a
4: very difficult question. Obviously, Poch kind of gave it to the, the team to vote on last year and it ended up being Kabul and Adebayor. So
0: mm-hmm.
4: it'd be tough for, as a fan, to, to kind of get in behind the the kinda, the kind of dressing room and to figure out who the natural leaders are. But I think what Toby has done this year in terms of pulling everybody together in a defensive unit uh, has been nothing short of kind of astounding, really, because he was a player that I wasn't uh, too pushing on signing. But... And uh, the way he's kind of slotted in and given us that real kind of resolute defense, uh, he would definitely be in among the candidates. And the candidates before the start of the season Would probably Vertonghen, Kane, Lloris. Um, hmm. So I think it's, it's definitely Lloris's for now. And I don't really see it as being the best position, as you, you kind of mentioned. But um, I would definitely throw Toby's hat in the ring for that. I think
0: if, if it were my call, I would take a long look at Eric Dyer that role especially for starting next year yeah
1: I'd go with that but again it's a lot of responsibility on young
0: shoulders I mean but it's a young it's a young team Um, and because of that one could one could benefit from a younger captain
1: yeah I suppose so I mean again it's it's the leadership thing isn't it because you have different types of captain. And Ledley wasn't a pointer and a shouter, but led by example and was great as a result. So mm. it's not like Eric's not afraid to speak his brains whilst on the pitch. And he's, he's also not frightened to lead by example by scything him with the, right, the tackle at the right time.
2: Mm-hmm. He's made 35
1: successful tackles this year, which is the, the most in our squad, apparently.
0: Thanks for that. Yeah, thanks done some- <laughs> <laughs> So, Len Dino, we're going to come over to you because we had, in a two-week span, back-to-back games against Anderlecht in the uh, Europa League, um, two mm, very different games. Um, and I'm interested in your thoughts to compare and contrast those matches.
4: Yeah, so it was kind of one of the points you kind of mentioned earlier about kind of starting well and then just kind of blowing to pieces uh, at the drop of a hat. Um, so the away game against uh, Anderlecht, I thought we started really well. Um, I think Lamella and Eriksson were, were playing quite quite narrow and they were kind of picking up pockets of spaces, finding each other. Um, Ericsson obviously scored quite early on with quite a quite a lucky deflection off uh, one of the defender's faces to, to put him through. Um, so that that was kind of a nice kind of start. And then LaMella had the ball in the back of the net a couple of minutes later, uh, ruled offside. Uh, but for me, it looked like we were going to go on to 2 or 3 nil easy kind of victory. Um, but then I guess it was the, the return of the gilet that really kind of
2: uh-huh,
4: <laughs> us back to earth. Um easy kind of set piece. Uh we're doing our usual kind of three man zonal across the six six yard box. Uh Ritongin went for near post header with the, one of their strikers. Both of them missed it. Um Toby had actually kind of lost his man, Gillet. Uh he got distracted by one of the defenders making a run and he kind of took a nice control and then kind of slotted in the back of the net. Um so I thought we had we started well, uh so there's nothing um to say about the way that Pochettino had set up the team uh, we had a lot of possession in the first half uh, but I don't think we, we really kind of recovered from uh, that conceding that goal and then the second half um, I think we kind of changed our kind of possession kind of focused uh, attack to, to try and hit them a bit on the counter using the, the pace of NG uh, to try and find them a bit faster uh, not going quite long ball but uh, definitely looking to play out from the back a lot faster um, but in the end um I think we ended up getting done. Uh, they, they'd made some uh, interesting uh, substitutions themselves. Uh, I don't think Trippia had the best of best of games. Uh, conceded with uh, kind of easy ball in between himself and Toby. Uh, their winger would come on. Uh, not really going to attempt to pronounce his name, but uh, basically did uh, Kieran Trippy on his inside. Their striker had been fixing his boot. Um, so he was in an offside position, but definitely not interfering with play. Simple cutback and slotted the ball home. Um, so I think it kind of reflects on us that I think we started well, but I think we all kind of thought that it was going to be, we could go at 80%, kind of wrap the game up quite easily, um, but it didn't end up that way. And then in the, I guess, the the return leg at the lane uh, the, the following week, um, it kind of started the inverse. I think Andelek kind of started a lot faster than we did, Um we kind of lacked lacked width. Uh, again, it was Lamela on the right, Eriksson on the left, both drifting in. Um, so I think that kind of forced um, uh, Lamela, Ali, and Eriksson were kind of dropping a bit deeper to get the ball, which kind of encouraged them on to, to kind of do the high press uh, to us, what we like to do to teams. Um, but credit to Poch because it's something on the, the boards that um, a lot of people have I guess kind of a sticking point with him that he's he likes inverted wingers and he kind of sticks to that but he actually kind of made the the, the change to, to kind of change that uh, midway through the first half and uh, not quite stick them both on, on the white line but uh, they definitely kind of uh, went a, a bit wider and I think that's created a lot more space for us um, and I really liked uh, Ali's running off the ball uh, I think that's what well, he's better at, uh, centre mid, as opposed to in the number ten role where Dembele has been playing in other games. Uh, he definitely causes a lot of confusion, and that Erik or that Kane goal, I think, was absolutely fantastical. Um, great pass from Mason into Ericsson in the pocket of space in the number ten role. Uh, nice little uh, slight pass from Ericsson. and then Kane had taken it first time without barely even looking up at the goal. But if you look at Ali's run, uh, he actually causes a bit of confusion. And the centre of defence uh taking uh Cara away from um from Kane's run. Um so I think another kind of few bits and pieces that we've kind of picked up from from these games as well, and I think even in the the Villa and Arsenal game as well, that Eriksen and Lamela seem to be doing a lot more from um some rehearsed pieces from corners. Um to my mind we should be whipping it in a bit more often than taking a short corner every time, but uh, there were some nice kind of uh, inside movements um, around the corners. So they had in the, the second half of the, the home game against Anderlecht. um kind of seemed to encourage them on a bit more. Uh, there was a couple of balls over the top that kind of, uh, I think their centre-back Kara as well had uh, the, the chance. It looked like it was, he was going to score, but he actually kind of kept it wide. Um, and then Ezekiel had come on. Um, nice player with a, with a bit of pace. Um, but he, he did a fantastic finish from a Stephen De Four ball over the top and kind of on a half folly uh, slotted in off the post. So I think, obviously, the the, the goal that Dembele scored after he, after coming on was um, absolutely fantastic, and I've, I've watched it about five or six times since, and it's I think if he hit it another ten times on his right, I don't think it would have gone anywhere near the goal, uh, but it's definitely up there for the for goal of the season so far for me. Yeah. Um, but I think overall, uh, I think we might have underestimated Anderlecht a little bit. Kind of thought we might be able to go at 80% of our, our usual uh, gung-ho attitude. Uh, kind of got caught on the, the the counter a couple of times from them. Um, but overall, I think we've done well to uh, kind of keep ourselves uh, in the tie, uh, earn a uh, good uh, chance of uh, qualifying for the, the knockout stages of Europa. Um, so I think... In terms of uh, kind of tactics, uh, got handed hand to who was kind of mixing it up in both the away leg and the, the home leg to try and change things in terms of moving players and to different positions, and then kind of changing as well from the, from the bench. Um, so I think it was a good good result overall. Um, obviously, thought we were we're going to do them over two legs, but uh, I think securing that home victory really kind of eases the pressure now for the the last two games against Carabag and Monaco.
0: Well, thanks for that for that review i i, I was that, i'm going to jump ahead really to ac um and your thoughts in general on how we've played in the europa league so far um and the like the likelihood of us qualifying for the knockout stages because clearly we're in the driver's seat in the group but it could tighten up very quickly if things don't go well in our next game and that game is a, a way to carabag your thoughts please yes um
3: I I I do agree with Lennardino on the sort of eighty percent. We we haven't been playing too well in the Europa League. Um nowhere near as at the same level as we have in the Premier. Um but we are still getting the results and we're still on target to win the group. And the other thing to also look at is playing at eighty percent, while it's not been giving us particularly great performances and you know, we could be doing much better than we currently are um, we have been doing much better in the league after games. We've got two wins and two draws in the Premier League after the four games we've played in the Europa League this season, uh, which is a drastic improvement on what we've done in previous seasons. Um, in terms of how we're going whether or not we're going to qualify, so we're currently top with seven, uh, Monaco in second with six, and both Anderlecht and Carabag have four points. Um, Andelect ahead of Carabag on goal difference. We'll finish top of the group if we... Uh, draw against Carabag and win at home against Monaco. And we'll also qualify if we lose in Carabag and beat Monaco at home. I don't think this Carabag game is as important, but if we do want to win the group, then we do need to get at least a draw. But I think we're in a pretty good position.
0: Hmm. It was interesting. I I stopped being the, uh, being the pessimistic fan sometimes. Uh, and because of the way we've played in the Europa League, I was looking at that game in Carabag as a classic uh, trap game for us between between two extremely important league games. Um, And I don't think they're as bad, they're not as bad a team as I had anticipated they would be when the draw was made. I didn't look at them as uh, a team that were going to take points off us, but they've got some good results um, in some of their games. And they'll be saying to themselves, we beat Spurs and we're either going to be first or second in the group uh, at the end of five games. So I do think it's a potential trap, but obviously time will tell. And talking of those league games, those two huge league games coming up against West Ham and Chelsea, um, Jake, what are your thoughts on those games and what do you expect to see? The games coming up? The West Ham and Chelsea games.
1: Well, if you looked at these at the start of the season before a ball had been kicked in anger, as the cliche goes, you wouldn't be looking at West Ham and thinking that's going to be the trickier of the two ties. Um, I'll go through a few bits and bobs, and at some point, if, if at any point you think this is where the Spurs doctor's going to come in and rescue a side, just give me a shout. Because I've looked at it and it, there's a few stats which stick out which worry me, but we'll start with the West Ham game. I mean, the obvious thing is that whilst we're on equal points, we've got better goal difference, which is why we're ahead of them, but our goal difference is better because it's based on the solidity of our defence rather than going forwards. Um, we're only a point better off than them in the last five games, and we're kind of thankful for the fact that their most influential player, Paye is going to be out for three months. I mean, he's had a hand in either a goal or either by scoring goal or assisting in over a third of all their goals so far this season. But they've already got a ready-made replacement. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but I shoved Lanzini into my fantasy league side a while ago. And normally that works to jinx any player because that's why I do so badly. <laughs> in them. But I mean, I think he's going to <coughs> slip into the central role and they'll have Moses and Zerate around him. And there'll be Chiato and Noble behind them. So they're going to be fairly solid. And with the pace of Moses, they'll be all right. Um, there's some injuries up front. So it's likely that they're going to have Andy Carroll playing up front instead of Sacco, which is in some ways good, because Sacco is a decent center forward, but in some ways bad, because having Andy Carroll means that they're going to probably play the, the tactic which seems to have really undone us over the last few games, which is getting the ball in and firing in crosses. Um Andy Carroll, if a team has Andy Carroll, the writer Barney Roney famously wrote that they need to um, approach it as if they're using the carcass of a dead ox being catapulted over the Citadel walls. And I think that's kind of the case really. I mean, you fire in a ball from an angle and then you fire Andy Carroll at it. And generally he'll either be a goal or absolute chaos in the center of our box. And I think over the last few games, we've shown we're a little suspect on that. So that does worry me to be honest. Um, we're doing all right. I mean, it's nice that Kane's coming into some form again now, so we do have a, an actual option. Well, not an option. That sounds really disingenuous. We've got a real potent threat again up front. I don't know if you spotted this, but Kane is currently the player with the most goals in the Premiership in this calendar year. He's four ahead of everyone else. So, I mean, it's, it's good that he's coming back into shape, but I think over the performance over the last couple of games as well, the fact that we don't necessarily take our chances that we do set up means that... I don't know, it doesn't sit quite right with me, the West Ham game. I mean, over the years, we should be good enough to get a point at least, or maybe beat them, but they're in such good form at the moment. They've got one of my favourite eccentric managers in charge as well. He is quite entertaining. So it'll be a difficult one to call. The one that really sticks out for me, though, is the Chelsea game, because normally at the start of the season, you'd look and see Chelsea, and there'd be all the worries. But there are some stats from this year, which I found really quite worrying. Because again, like with you, Prof, it's that I've been a Spurs fan for quite a while and I'm more realistic than optimistic, I think it's a nice way of putting it. Um, they've had no clean sheets in their last eight away games. They've only won two of their last ten away games. They are the first title holders to lose seven out of their first 12 games and they're currently 16th. Mourinho has never lost uh, this many games in a season before and has already been, you know beaten his record. Anyone starting to get a little bit worried about this yet? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, they've, in their last five games, they've lost four and won one, and that was against Aston Villa. I mean, it, all of this strikes that this is the, the most Spurs doctor time. This is where <laughs> Dr Tottenham will come and rescue a season. Yeah, I mean, this is the other weird thing about these games as well, and it kind of goes back into, I know we haven't discussed the Arsenal game yet, but I realised today whilst I was doing some research that today is actually my 10-year anniversary on Coy's. Um, Well,
0: congratulations! Oh yeah, happy anniversary, mate!
1: Yeah, I am sorry for everyone involved for pretty much everything I've ever said.
0: um, Did that telegram arrive?
1: Well, I was hoping (laughs) there is the montage to music that's been prepared. Is that right? (laughs) Um, But I look back over where we were in two thousand and five, and it's really startling the symmetry. In two thousand and five, the next game that was going to be played was when I joined was us at home to West Ham. Uh, For the record, we drew that game, and uh, if you can't remember it. Mido scored early on. Anton Ferdinand scored their equaliser in the 93rd minute. From a and, corner. Yeah, exactly. And Pardew and the rest of the bench jumped up like they just won the World Cup and the Super Bowl. It was amazing. Um, a couple of two games before that, because again, the BBC review of that game had a pull quote from their message boards. And the pull quote from their message boards said, First Arsenal, now West Ham. One nil is never enough. Spurs need to kill teams off. And two games beforehand, we'd drawn one-all with uh, Woolwich and uh, Perez had scored in the 77th minute, just like Gibbs did in the game we've just played. So I think we'll, we'll come on to this in a bit because mm-hmm. some of my enthusiasm and optimism is kind of tempered by what we've seen over the years. And it just does kind of ring true that we have seen some of these great performances where we haven't quite stuck teams away before. So, yeah, I'm a little bit more sceptical than some may have been on the board over the last week or so about this, this bright new dawn that seems to be played with the team bustling and playing with energy and so on and so forth. Mind you, anyone want to know the midfield from that um, West Ham game last time round? It, it was Jermaine Jenas. it was Michael Carrick, and it was Edgar Davids. Who was playing out wide in that side? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't quite work that out for me. And we had and Mido up front with Terry, Dawson King, and Mr Lee at left back. So you know, it was a team that, again, showed a bit of promise and had the experience in it, but we didn't quite kick on from there. So to go back to the two games in terms of a preview, my head says that we'll get a point from both. My heart obviously hopes that Mourinho and his side do wonderfully against Norwich so that he's still in charge, and then we smear them all across the pitch. It's difficult to tell because they're derby games, so anything can happen. But yeah, I mean, if we play with the the energy that we did against Arsenal and come out and really go at them and crucially take our chances. We could have a really good fist of taking six points from these. We won't, but we could have a good fight.
0: Tactically, Jake, what is the way that, or what are the, the tactics that teams are deploying in order to beat Chelsea this year? What, what makes it different from last year? I think it's not so much the tactics that are being used, it's the the fallibility
1: of the side they're playing against. I mean, we can't underestimate it. It is a spectacular fall from grace for Chelsea. And yeah. don't get me wrong, it is absolutely brilliant. But I think you couldn't really have factored in. You could take into account maybe the, the decline of a couple of players, but you wouldn't have seen Ivanovic nosediving diving as badly as he had. John Terry, we knew, was on his last legs, but I think there was the expectation that they'd get another player in to help him out, to replace him. Um, you wouldn't have expected um, Courtois to be out all this time. So if you look at the the collapse of that defensive unit, I mean, that's a lot to take on board. And then if you add in the fact that Costa, and I'm going to be a little bit picky here, and I'm not going to be a hostage to Fortune, because obviously it's all with the caveat that he's in my fantasy league team, so therefore it's possibly my fault and I'm a jinx. But Diego Costa's had three seasons so far where he's scored more than 20 goals. I don't see him being this, and currently he's 27, so this, well, theoretically, because again, he's another person who looks like he's had the world's toughest paper round. He looks so gnarled and elderly by now, but I don't necessarily think he's been dramatically brilliant throughout his career. It could be that Chelsea signed him when he'd hit form and, and now he's tailed off again. He came back at the start of the season unfit and he's not getting the supply and people have worked him out. I think the easy thing is this time round, the baiting other than again, the hilarious sending off when he played Woolwich, the baiting doesn't work as much anymore. I mean, he looks like he's someone from the the school yard telling Ryan Shawcross that he smelt. Isn't that something that you you would tell your kids off for doing at that age? But yeah, (laughs) I think there's so much that has fallen off and hazard losing form as well. All of these factors are much more influential, I think than how teams have been playing against them. It's just that there's been a decline in the careers of some players and a lack of form in others. And it's really hard to pick that back up,
0: Mm -hmm. which again is brilliant. Thank you for that. And you you, a couple of times during that preview, you alluded to the North London Derby. And it was fascinating on COIS really. Um, the, the three camps, there was the delighted we played so well. Uh, and the fact that we could have won, um, is a sort of moral victory. There's, there was the camp that says there's no such thing as a moral victory. We gave away a game we should have won. And then there's the people like me, which is, bit disappointed, but frankly, I would have taken a point before the start of the game, and I thought we played quite well. And so, um, Executive, what are your thoughts on that game, and particularly on the result, but on the game itself as well?
2: So what? I'm I'm in Camp 3, so... As a, as a fixture, it's not one I ever look forward to. Um, mm. my, my, my stance is to always go there, expecting the worst, and anything that happens is a, is a bonus. Um, but as you rightly say, um, I'd have taken a point before the game, but very disappointed in the outcome just to walk away with one and not three. I thought it was one of those where we actually took the game to them. There seemed to be a belief about the players that they were better than Arsenal on the day. Um, the midfield three dominated their midfield. Uh, we had... All the play in the first half—it's—it's it's the most one-sided first half or half of football I've seen us play away at at Arsenal, sort of in the last sort of 20 years and stuff. Um, and there just seems to be a real belief. Uh, Kane took his goal incredibly well. It's just a shame that we couldn't get a second goal. We had a couple of half chances, nothing sort of too clear-cut. Um, but as Jake alluded to before, uh, our, our biggest weaknesses were crosses. Um, Ozil was their best player on the day. We stopped all of their tippy-tappy nonsense on the edge of the box. They, we looked very, very solid through the middle. But as soon as the ball came into the box, I mean, on another day, Giroud could have scored three. So whilst we played well, dominated the game served to win, you know, we could quite easily have lost that game just from switching off and, and not blocking crosses. Um, I think I wouldn't say the game changed, but obviously Lamella went off when he did, uh, which was the right decision because he was probably on the verge of being sent off. A, he had he had a booking for a, a rash tackle, and then he lunged in um, sort of a few minutes after as well. And I think Sun unfortunately looked very off the pace. He needed to get in Uzel's face to stop that cross. Um, and Walker, who you know, like Jake, we're not big fans of. I thought he did very well on the day and I wouldn't apportionally blame to him for the goal. He was left with two and one at the back post. And unfortunately, uh, it's a shot that you'd expect Larice to save probably eight or nine times out of ten. Um, in, term- in terms of the day itself, it was a good atmosphere. We had a, a good chat with Mark, Fo- Mark Falco and Darren Anderton, who were both in the away end before the game having a drink. Um had to use the ladies' facilities in the second half after uh, a couple of idiots decided to jump up and down on the sinks. Yes. Um, That's but, still
1: no excuse for dragging up, though, exec. We've been over this before.
2: Well, you know, you know sometimes, you, sometimes, sometimes you just can't help yourself. No. You know, so I, 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 I must say, they're, they're a lot cleaner in the ladies, so uh, maybe I might stick a dress on and go in there more often. Um, but I thought it thought was interesting <laughs> as well. I, I, I thought after the game that there was a lot of widespread recognition from the media and people that are normally anti-Tottenham or, you know, those that are fairly pessimistic um, were very, very positive. Even someone like Paul Merson has now come out and thought we were, thinks we're going to finish third, even though he thought we'd lose the game 3-0. Um, so I think there's, there's clear signs there of Pochettino's move, uh, of, of his plans and his ethos. Um, again, it was our third game in six days. Um, so to have that sort of level of fitness and appetite to go all the way to the end was great, um, and it was it was one of those where you weren't sure if it was a good time to play Arsenal or a bad time, given the fact that they'd a uh, hilarious he lost five one three days before. So uh, to, to go back to the initial point, very very well pleased with the point, but probably frustrated not to get all three.
1: On Paul Merson, do we reckon he knows what he says at any point? No,
0: no, obviously, no, no idea.
1: I don't think he could even manage a colouring in book, bless him. But yeah, still lives with his mum and dad. True fact.
0: Wow. I was thinking about something that happened. It was probably mm, three, four weeks ago. Um, At my age, time tends to have strange uh, dilation and contraction properties as I look backwards. But uh, I can't recall a time in Spurs history where somebody who was so intimately involved in Uh, the player personnel side of the club, departed to such little, not just little fanfare, but such little interest as the departure of Baldini.
1: Oh, yeah, he's gone, isn't
0: he? (laughs) I I mean, that's very bizarre. No, It wasn't that people said, I'm so glad he's gone, or, oh, I wish he was still here. It was, meh.
1: Well, it kind of ties in with the mythical we don't know well who does what and where in relation to buying players i think that's one of the 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 many shadowy shadowy it makes it sound like some kind of cabal the the (laughs) the absence of clear responsibility over who buys and who doesn't and what we buy is both a a strength and a weakness because it's nice that we can't point the blame although obviously belt being (laughs) shunted out the door may be something of an indication but I mean, who does have the final say? What, what is the process? There is no... We, you can read lots of things. Like when Moyes was in charge of Everton, there was his special room where it had all the tracings of players from the first time they kicked a ball as a child all the way through to where they were and whether Everton should buy them. But we've never had any insight to how it's done at our club. So it's always guesswork. It's always guess. I mean, even back down to Frank, when we had Frank Arneson. Who, who chose Sparze Dilevskiy? I mean, there are so many names which have bobbled up and down over the years that you, there must be a reason and a rhyme behind it, but we've never really, really had it explained to us. So you can't get that worked up about someone who never really spoke to us and wasn't going to be one to stick one in the net for us anyway and didn't appear on the touchline. It, it's strange, isn't it?
2: Hmm.
0: And uh, I, yeah,
2: I, oh, sorry. I, I, was, I was just going to say. I mean, there, there doesn't seem to be any clear ethos, and I think. This is the one criticism of Enoch in terms of you know, obviously the the stability of the club is is in a fantastic position, but just in terms of the philosophy, and it's been the same with the managers. We've gone from having sort of young English managers to young foreign managers to experienced. International managers to experienced English managers, and every sort of manager that comes in, because we've had such a high turnover of management, they've all got their own ideas about what players look like. But even from a buying perspective, we buy, we've gone down this road of buying young, young, cheap players that have got potential with sell-on value. Then we've gone to spending 30 million on Soldado, 16 on Paulinho. Um, you know, it's, it, it doesn't seem to be an ethos. But I think Pochettino is probably the first man that's been there sort of several years that you actually feel can build something and you'd hope that he will now have a key sort of impact and they backed him by getting Paul Mitchell from Southampton so you'd hope moving forward there'll be a little bit more cohesion and consistency in the players they're they're looking to sign
1: I think that's probably very true I mean there's a thing on the Guardian's website at the moment about whether Pochettino is the most influential manager for the England football team because 19 players have had England starts after they've been picked by him and there's I think the, the encouraging thing for me, and I know that there's been an argument in the past that we focused on buying young talent and then we had the change of heart because we got shot of bail and spent £100 million on, well, it turns out £100 million on Chadley and Erickson because we farmed and Lameda because we farmed the rest out. But I think with Pochettino being someone who was earmarked quite early on and recognised as someone who brings through young players, maybe there is some sort of support for him and an understanding that this will take a bit more time. And that particularly stands out with the fact that he sends players out, and they they are punished and sent, you know farmed off. It's a question of whether Townsend will get back into the side as well, or at least the squad, after his uh, very public spat. Because Pochettino has been supported by Levy, and it's the first time that I can think of where Levy has backed the manager over the senior players. Because AVB and the argument over Adibayor's hat, I mean, I don't want to go back into the AVB whether he was any good argument or not. It's just the fact that this time round, when Pochettino seemed to have some form of mutiny forming, the hierarchy of the club have backed him rather than the players who were on hundreds of thousands a week, and that's really refreshing.
0: And, and still, when the history of the, these last couple of years come to be written, that moment I'm convinced will be seen as a turning point. Either way, it feels, and many fans have said it, due to the number of perhaps the number of younger. Uh, uh, home sort of homegrown players that have come through. Uh, it feels more like the kind of Tottenham team we can get behind than it did when we had players like out of oh,
2: yeah. it's, it's it's fantastic to watch, and I pr- appreciate the. Standard of football isn't always great. I've documented before, I thought last year was absolutely turgid um, in terms of the football, especially at home. But when you've got five or six homegrown players between the ages of sort of 19 and 22 trying their hearts out every week, I mean, it's hard not to get excited and enthusiastic about the future. Um, but we're still a Harry Kane injury away from being well and truly screwed. So, you know, there's an element of relying on some luck getting through to January, being in a healthy position, and then hoping they um, they put some investment in and, and strengthen the squad further, because you can't go through a whole season with one recognised striker and expect him to play every game in every competition.
0: No, I uh, yeah. Don't you feel, guys, like, how long has this... this uh, mm, it's not even a discussion, frankly. For how long have Spurs fans been making the point that we need another striker? Uh, it, it feels like forever.
1: It's a difficult one to call, though, Prof. I mean, the... Attraction of, hello, we'd like to sign you, but we've got currently the best striker in the Premiership in terms of goals in the last year. He is going to be first choice in a team which plays one up top. Do you want to come and sit on our bench? And I appreciate that buying another striker would give us some degree of tactical flexibility. But Poch doesn't seem to really buy into the tactical flexibility that much. I mean, he might shun the inverted wingers every now and again but we're likely to have one up top and then some whippy players or whippy, some rapid players around him as well. So I think it's a really difficult draw. And do you go for someone who's young enough so that we can tempt them to come in and play the odd game and learn their craft? Or do you go for someone like Ricky Lambert who will, dust himself down and come off the bench for a few games and some Europa performances. Or do you try and persuade West Brom to give us Berahino for a reasonable price again and try and encourage him to develop his game. As an aside by the way, I think Pulis absolutely tucked up Berahino after the United game.
0: So we're going to move on now to Lenandinho. Um and I know you've got you've done some research and you have a number of thoughts about the the club's finances.
4: Yeah. Um so probably been a shareholder for probably close to 10 years now, so it's been something I've been kind of paying close attention to for quite a while. Um, obviously, now we're not a publicly traded company anymore, so now it's just annual reports. So the last annual reports are from uh, the 2013-2014 season, so they came out uh, around March of, of this year, so uh, probably no surprise if there was a top four for being one of the best uh, managed financial uh, teams in the league that we'd be... Uh, top four pretty much every season. Um, So I think we've, obviously we all know Levy's uh, prudency, um, the amount of money that we've made off players. Um, So that's kind of led to uh, record revenues uh, last year, uh, record uh, profit as well. Uh, So we made about 75 million uh, after tax last year, and way above uh, anyone else in in the league. Uh, Even across Europe as well, we're we're kind of um, coming out near the top. Um, but I guess uh, one thing that kind of came out uh, from from last year's uh, reports is that we're still owed $50 million, uh, from Real Madrid for Gareth Bale. Um, so while selling him is obviously kind of uh, boost our revenues and our profits, uh, there's still a lot more money to, to come in there. Um, so obviously that will be kind of playing out over the next two or three years. I'm not really sure how long the, the kind of agreement was to, to pay down that uh, world record fee uh, but there's a couple of um kind of points where we're we're still kind of lacking behind obviously uh, there's things like the the match day revenues and that's that's not gonna grow uh, any significant margin uh, until we actually get the stadium done uh, so I think being able to turn profits uh these last kind of couple of years and maybe over the next couple as well uh, that we we'll would be able to pay down some of the uh, the expected uh, stadium bill costs uh, so I think. We're looking at between 300 and 400 million uh, for those costs. Uh, So I think on the the commercial side, obviously Levy's been uh, quite active on uh, trying to get us better deals for our kit deal, better deals for our sponsors, even experimenting with the two um, kind of lead uh, shirt sponsors a couple of seasons ago. Um, But I think on the commercial side, it's something that we we really need to uh, kind of up our game, Uh, the likes of Chelsea. United City, Liverpool—they're leaving us. Uh, Arsenal are leaving us in their in their dust at the moment. Uh, so I think, Levy looking at deals like the the NFL deal is something that uh, could potentially uh, give us uh, huge potential revenues. Um, might help us with the the stadium uh, naming rights, and then obviously being able to build uh, a stadium from scratch and and have a lot more uh, kind of corporate boxes and stuff to help us with the the match day revenues is something that uh, needs. Uh, A lot of work, um, something that the the club have been doing, but in terms of actually being able to predict what those revenues are going to be in the future, it's something that there's a lot up in the air. So looking at the NFL deal, or it starts from 2018 season for 10 years. um, Wembley have just extended their contract uh, from 2015 up to 2020 uh, with the option of extending that to 2025. Um, So they'll be looking at four NFL games in uh, London after we open our stadium. And to be honest, it really looks like it's going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, So that's the team owned by uh, Shad Khan, uh, the guy who owns uh, Fulham. Uh, So they've signed up for the next five years to be playing in London, and they're looking beyond that as well. Um, And the, the idea is to have a London franchise maybe Ten years from now, um, I was at a sports conference in May over here in Ireland and was actually one of the, the VPs of, of marketing from NFL there. So I definitely approached him and uh, kind of wore my heart in my sleeve, kind of saying that I was a Tottenham fan and there was a lot of rumours going around at the time. Um, and he's he's fully convinced that there will be uh, a team in London. Uh, so whether that's going to be full time at our stadium, uh, whether they're going to share between us, Wembley, uh, I know they've looked at um, the Emirates as well, as well as the Olympic Stadium. So I'm not sure if it's going to be a split between all those uh, venues or whether we're going to be the ones uh, with our custom-built NFL stadium that's going to uh, kind of win those rights. Um, but I think when you look at the, the kind of commercial deals, what United Liverpool have been able to do in terms of uh, kit deals, uh, the, the shirt sponsor deals, and even their their training kit sponsor deals, uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, wiggle room for us to, to kind of improve our um, revenues from uh, the commercial side. So I know um, I think we have Under Armour until the end of uh, 2017. Um, so I think we'd be looking for a, a big deal there, because I think at the moment we're only getting 10 million a year, whereas United are getting 75 million for for their uh, for their kit deal. Uh, Chelsea on about 30, uh, same with Arsenal, uh, Liverpool on 44. So I definitely think there's there's room for us to kind of double ours to, to 20 million. Um, and then obviously looking at the, the kind of shirt sponsors and being able to tie that in with uh, potential naming rights for our stadium, uh, something that we need to, to kind of improve. Um, but again, it, it all comes down to uh, Enix plans. Uh, obviously there's been kind of rumours of uh, Kane Hoy coming in last year to... Uh, act on behalf of a potential uh, takeover deal. Um, so that was kind of quickly kind of faded away into insignificance. Uh, haven't heard too much in terms of a potential takeover since. Um, but with the the new TV deals coming in, um, and then I think it's from next year, uh, the Champions League has been boosted as well by about fifty percent. And so again any potential for us to, to qualify for the Champions League is another area where obviously the the upward reward for that is, is quite significant and even more so from from next year so uh, i guess with that in mind and the the profits that we've ran for last year and the year before um, I would like to see Levy kind of dip in uh, this January and be able to use some of those finances to to kind of take a punt and really back the team to to finish fourth or even third this year like merson has predicted uh, because the the rewards for getting to Champions League this year are, are more significant than than in previous years, and obviously I, even just from like on the pitch performance, being able to have a team so young, being able to achieve so much so fast under a new manager would be uh, put us in really good uh, stead for for future developments. And I don't know if any of you guys listen to the, the Football Weekly podcast, uh, but in their review of the the North London Derby, Barry Glendenny actually kind of said that the Spurs team have have kind of changed a lot and maybe not this season is going to be a year, but he thinks next season that we could definitely be uh, a title contenders, which hasn't really been mentioned since the Harry Redknapp era where we were um, kind of chasing uh, Man City and many of the time at the the end of January. So uh, I definitely think the finances are there for us to be able to do something. Obviously, our kind of net spend uh, kind of tactics for the last uh, number of years under under Levy have been uh, quite apparent. Um, I think under Unic at the very start, were they were willing to kind of spend not huge monies, but uh, they were definitely kind of running at a at a loss. Um, and it, we've definitely kind of completely flipped around in terms of uh, being high net spenders, high uh, net um, receivers of uh, transfer funds. Um, So I'd be interested to hear all of your guys' thoughts of, um, I guess, how Enoch have performed over the last uh, kind of number of years. Obviously, we've seen the bail money kind of come and go, but um, in terms of like fans there at the game every week, what do you guys think of the the Levy-Enoch situation? Because around this time last year, I think, it's probably the highest we've ever seen, the kind of Levy-out uh, kind of brigade. Um, Sam, what are your thoughts? I'd certainly want him around until we've got
3: the stadium built, at least. I mean, I'm pretty happy with Levy overall.
2: Well, uh, 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 ultimately, they've, they've, they've done their job, right? So, we've got the sixth. Where, where, where you finish should be reflected by the size of your wage bill. We've got the 6th highest wage bill and traditionally we finish fourth, fifth or sixth. So in that regard, you have to say that the performance has mirrored where what, what, what it should achieve. I think the frustration really comes from opportunities of not kicking on when we've had a real opportunity to. So we finished fourth twice in the last eight years. If we'd have had increased net spend in key moments, in key windows, I'm pretty sure we'd have come fourth at least twice more. I think certainly one season under... Rednapp one season under A V B would have come forth both those seasons had we actually kicked on and invested at key moments and addressed glaringly obvious weaknesses in the squad. But you can't you can't you can't fault him, but I don't love him. I don't actively want him out. I'm just a little bit sort of there.
1: Yeah, I think I'll echo that one as well. I mean it's always better the devil you know, or grass is always isn't always greener, but We've tried this before. I was one of the idiots after we lost to Birmingham in the League Cup many moons ago that was at the gates shouting about sugar out. And I helped give out leaflets, not as many as the much revered sideways. who was a very quiet but very interesting man on our boards. <laughs> um Yeah, so I, I, I got really bought into this and I, I wanted him gone. And I, if you read anything about the creation of the Premier League, he was It was no coincidence to me that Sugar was a man who who had a a company that sold Sky boxes and decoders, or satellite dishes and decoders, which were the main use was Sky. And he was the one that was shouting, blow them out of the water about the ITV bid so that Sky could get the football. It's almost like there's some kind of link. I don't necessarily think he bought the club in an altruistic gesture so that he could support his boyhood club. So replacing him with someone who... I don't know, they did all the right things for me. They sacked George Graham as soon as they possibly could, which was always going to be one of the best things they could do for me. They got Glenn Hoddle in, which was magnificent. And then you get into the thing where their business acumen doesn't necessarily tie in with their understanding of the, the way that football works. Because you can argue they either sacked Hoddle too early or they sacked him too late, depending on how you believe the timing. And it's the same again with some of the other people they brought in. The timing and how they've done it doesn't necessarily work out with how you'd like things to run. So would we be better with someone else in? I don't know. As executive pointed out, we're about right for where we should be. We should have bought some players in or, you know, to dead and done a little bit earlier in some instances in some transfer windows. I mean, just to touch on that point about Real Madrid owing us 50 million quid still for bail Is that right? That's amazing.
4: Yeah, well, obviously there probably would have been um, some payments uh, this past summer, but we don't have those uh, kind of details in yet. So
1: it does yeah. make it sound like football's equivalent of the Littlewoods catalogue, though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> One other point, though, about the the way things are going, just to project into the future, would it be Sods Law or would it be very Spursy if we did qualify for the Champions League in the seasons when we're not going to be in White Hart Lane?
2: <laughs> or when we call, quali- or when we finish fourth, and England lose a place, and it's only the top three that get in there. Yeah, well, yeah. it's one, one of those, one, isn't it? What well, one of the two is most likely to happen? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. apparently, the MK Don Stadium is quite intimidating for uh, for teams like Bar, for teams like Bayern Munich and
1: oh, it's an absolute England. cauldron. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm. Well, my thoughts on, on on this are, I guess, a thought and a, and a statement, or maybe a thought and a snippet, which are that we have such uh, an interesting young team until the time comes where I don't fear uh, every transfer window that a Eric Dyer or a Delhi alley or a Harry Kane is going to get sold. I won't be completely satisfied with our owners or our situation. And I understand that that is a mm, perhaps unrealistic expectation, but truly that's how I feel. It's so hard to have long-term stability, if you're continually selling your best players, so there are my thoughts on that. And, and right now, I don't have that confidence that we that clubs can't come in and, and grab those players. Um, the second thing was something you mentioned, Lenandino, about the NFL and particularly about Jacksonville, where yeah. there have been rumours of Jacksonville moving to the UK. Um, in fact, I believe if it was up to the owner, it would he would be moving to. Um, Ground a, a revamped ground of his current of the club he currently owns, but I'm trying to think how to put this. You guys may remember that Gala had uh, received some spot on information about the NFL deal um, when it was happening, and that the same person gave the strong impression that there were two possible paths. One was a relocation of a team like Jacksonville, but not necessarily Jacksonville, and the other path was an expansion of the NFL. Um, to include one or more European teams, they'd have to get more than just one team in, though. Correct.
1: I mean, it, it's interesting, but I don't know. I I understand the importance of revenue, and I I know that maybe we could be maximising our. our and the thing that excites me the most at the moment is the concept of this new stadium, and and oh. at the moment for me it still is a. It's just the concept until everything. I can see the piling is apparently being done and. You know, I, I follow the new Spurs Stadium Twitter feed, and it, it's quite exciting. But it just still seems so intangible, even though you can see all these bits as you go to the ground and see that there's a larger hole in the ground that needs
0: filling. It's, it's it still seems slightly surreal to me. Is it just me? No, I think it does seem surreal, but it also is extremely exciting. You think we're, I don't know, six weeks away from 2016, and it opens in 2018. It really isn't that far away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this survey was quite fun this time around when they asked about the catering options. I think someone was very tongue-in-cheek to suggest that we could have a chick king inside the ground. <laughs> it's just a knowing wink to those who go on a regular basis, really, isn't it?
3: There is a worrying amount of support for that in, on the forum.
1: Yeah, Well, you know, each their own. If, if, you, if you want your fried chicken, you might as well make it a local... local I made the point, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, in the actual questionnaire that You could be selling unicorn burgers in a swan-based brioche. It doesn't matter if you have the serving staff who can't operate a till and seem to have no inclination to engage with the person waving money at you. If they have the same attitude as the current staff, you could get more money out of the current ground if the people behind the tills didn't seem surprised that this whistle blows after 45 minutes and 5,000 people advance towards them wanting chips and a beer.
0: Over the last few weeks, we've seen the debut of a young, I think, 18-year-old, I, think I believe, a young midfielder, uh, Joshua Anoma, has played, I think he's had two sub-appearances in the league and maybe a couple in the Europa. Um, obviously, it's way too soon to tell what he's going to become, but I'm interested in your initial thoughts. He made his debut in the Villa game, um, mm-hmm. his Premier League debut. And he looked
3: tidy, but he's he's never been on the pitch for more than sort of ten minutes, so it's mm-hmm. it's very difficult to tell
0: at this point. Yeah, he
1: was one of the nine that had a touch for Kane's goal, though. If you're interested, <laughs> it was Mason and Vertonghen who weren't. Just so that
0: drop them off. Obviously, they're going to be dropped.
1: Yeah, it's glad.
0: and he, he looks okay. like he's it,
1: as AC pointed out, he's not been there long enough. But if Potts trusts him to bring him on ahead of well ahead of Townsend. Um, <laughs> Then fair play. I think there must be something about him. Potch has an eye for young players <laughs> in terms of bringing them on and developing them as as people who'd be useful for the side. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm confident that he'll come on and do a job for us.
2: He, he looks quick, doesn't he? He's quick and he's direct. Yeah, and I don't think. And I think when Townsend's not on the pitch, we don't really have that because what whilst lamella has been good and he's improving, he's not someone you say so as being quick and direct, nor is so I no. think it's it's it's, it's, an, it's another option to have, and obviously if Townsend's clearly misbehaved and he's out of favour, and fundamentally he's not particularly good, um, you know, we do need other options in wide areas that can uh, cause a threat. Well, and
1: G's supposed to be that as well, isn't he? And again, going back to that Liverpool game, uh, you know, he was so close to opening his account early on. Yeah, I, I'm.
0: It all seems a little bit promising. I mean, the reason I brought up a Noma, other than the fact that he's a new player to the squad. Is, I think he's the youngest player in the squad, and that they're bringing him on ahead of even other touted, um, previously touted players through a youth team like Tom Carroll, who's five years older, um, or Harry Winks, who's older. um, I think it's quite interesting. They must see something in him to have promoted him in the pecking order above those players, as well as the example you gave was Townsend.
3: I think Onam is a lot more creative than, say, a Winks and a Carroll. I don't actually rate Carroll that highly. I, I quite like the look of it, Winks, but I think he'll be—he will be one of the deeper midfielders, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but you may not make it. But Onoma is—is is more of a creative player. Maybe no, the fact didn't. that there
1: are so many good young players coming through is why Tommy Carroll always runs and is constantly looking over his shoulder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Question for all of you, and it—it it, it was triggered really by something. One of you said earlier about being a cane injury away from disaster. Um, and also a thread I started in the, uh, in the BML on, on Coiz, which, which of course, you know, you can lather your opening posting caveat saying, it, I'm really talking about this game. I've, I've confidence in the player. I'm just saying in this game, he might've looked a bit rusty. And then you get these responses like, keep the faith. And, and uh, well, I believe he has a future as if the initial post hadn't said that. Um, but it, it made me think about what is your what is your confidence, what is your confidence level like um, f- to have Son play the lone striker role if Kane is either injured or needs a rest. Um, and, and I was going to ask you, Dino, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I definitely think he's got the ability to do it, but I think the the team will probably need a bit, um, not a, so much of a rejig, but kind of tactics on on the pitch. I think he'll definitely need a lot more runners uh, around him. Uh, so I think having a player like Dembele behind just to kind of give him some support, and then having players like Ali, uh, maybe even Mason uh, kind of running uh, beyond him, definitely that would be able to kind of alleviate some of the, the kind of pressure points on Son. Uh, obviously, he's not as big as strong as Harry Kane, but I don't think we really kind of play that way anyway. So I'll say I think he needs more time to adapt in the league because. Uh, obviously getting over his injury and he hasn't really played that much in the in the league either. Um so I think given some time, um I definitely think he should be kind of slotting in for Lamella against uh West Ham. And I think that that will kinda of show us quite a bit of where he is right now and what he can potentially do for us um both in terms of being a first team player in the league and potentially kind of stepping in for, for Kane when the need arises.
1: I I don't, I would worry if we had him. I think you'd have to adjust the formation to recognise the fact that Kane isn't there rather than playing a lone striker. I'm not saying a 4-6-0, but something to establish the fact that we don't have. So it might even be worth, and again, this might be worth noting that I'm encouraging the, the deployment of Dembele, but having someone who is taller, who can hold the ball up as Dembele does and recognise that's what the strength of Kane is as a lone striker, it's it's to be able to bring others into play and then move into space. If we have someone up top who can hold that ball up and allow the tricky players behind him to still have an impact and move on past him, then I think that's, that's where I'd look to adjust the squad.
3: You certainly could play Dembele in a sort of false number nine position. Yeah. Uh, just to hold the ball up and then let people run past him.
1: Like put the nine in inverted commas on the back of his shirt or something. Yeah.
0: Do any of you believe that N'G can play as that striker?
3: I think in sort of late-game scenarios where we're ahead, certainly. Just on the break, I think he'd be good. But again, we we play with a striker that holds the ball up for
0: us, and we don't have a replacement for that, really. Okay, well, guys, I think our time is up. Um, Thanks to all of you. Um, for making Quiz Cost Five so interesting to at least to record, and I hope to listen to. Um, so thanks to our to our debutante, Lenardino. Thanks, Brad. Thanks to the ever. Um, I'm going to say use the word interesting, and I'm going to put it in those inverted commas. Executive. Good night. <laughs> thanks to the magnificent Jake. Who's that? Oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> and the mysterious AC. Um, thanks, everybody, and hope to see you all at ComeOnYouSpurs.com. Come on, you Spurs! Come on you Spurs.